Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Uh, can we could we open up uh, my time here with prayer? Uh, Father, thank you for this day and for your love for us. And Lord, you know we're uh, we're your servants, and uh, we're powerless without your Holy Spirit empowering us. And so we ask that you would uh, speak your word and uh, bring forth uh, your desired message by the power of your Holy Spirit tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, some of you have two sheets. Some of you only have one probably because I, the first one, the one I brought to tonight is an outline of the message tonight, but I didn't make enough of them and I, I forgot to bring them in earlier. So most of you probably only have the the hour, um, the hour of prayer circle, and that's the meat. That's the meat of the message. In any case, um, but what we're what we're here to talk about tonight is making worship personal, and um, certainly that we can see very easily if we look at the Bible, uh, even in a, a superficial way, that anybody that God ever had anything to do with uh, learned how to worship, and worship was a big part of their life. Uh, you know, I've listed a couple of Isaiah in the sixth chapter uh, when he was in the temple. And I don't know that that was necessarily public worship. I think he was just there. And while he was there, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his, his uh, glory filled the temple. And the angels cried, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And he fell upon his face and, and cried, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And, and the angel took the coal from the altar and touched his lips and he was able to, to worship God. You know, and that's that's our situation. Daniel, we know that he he worshipped and prayed every day at his window, even when the king of the land declared that it was illegal for him to do so. He continued to do so. Uh, Paul and Silas in the book of Acts were in jail. They were thrown in the jail cell. And what did they do? They sang songs and worshipped God. And God delivered them. Uh, David, the psalm, psalmist, you know, he worshipped from the time he was very young. He worshipped and played the harp and, and wrote songs to the Lord uh, from the time he was a teenager or before that. And that was certainly, worship was a big, big part of David's life. John in the book of Revelation was on the Isle of Patmos. And uh, I don't think he was, I don't think there was a church there on the Isle of Patmos. He was there imprisoned. He was there by himself. He was there uh, uh, put away. And he said on the, on the Lord's day uh, that the spirit of the Lord uh, came to him and came upon him, and that's where he got the revelation that he got. So anybody that wants to s serve God, anybody that wants to seek God, anybody that God calls, anybody that God saves, one way or the other, they're going to learn to worship, and worship needs to be a really uh, an important part of what they do. So I, I was thinking about this message, and I was thinking of some personal examples, uh, some of my earlier, earlier earliest experiences of the presence of God in personal worship. And my, one of my very, very earliest memories, probably I was no more than three or four years old, was uh, in Kansas, and I was sitting on my grandmother's knee in her rocking chair, and she was teaching me to pray the rosary. I was, she was a staunch Roman Catholic, and, and uh, I was raised Catholic. And, and I remember that it's, it's always been one of the most precious memories of my life, uh, sitting on her lap and her teaching me to, to pray. Uh, and then I remember that I had in my room at home, and again, this is coming from a child's childlike faith and not necessarily a lot of understanding. But I, I had, because I was Catholic, I had a plastic Jesus, I had a plastic Mary, 
I had a plastic Joseph, and I, and I set up a little altar in my, in my bedroom. I had a little table there with my altar on it. And I remember that my mom would uh, sometimes come to me and tell me, uh, you need to pray for, for your dad, you know. My dad worked in the oil fields in Kansas, and uh, sometimes there'd be storms at night, and he'd come home very late. It wasn't until about 20 years later I realized that, unfortunately, he probably got off work at 5 and went to the bar, and that's why he came home very late. But indeed, you know, I prayed for him. I prayed for him every night that he was gone. And uh, he did come to know the Lord uh, in, his, in his later days. Um, and uh, I remember when I went to school, I went to Catholic school in the first grade, and every day we'd go to Mass. Part of school was you'd file out of the classroom and you'd go file into the church. And every day we went to Mass. And I remember that my grandmother had given me my own rosary. It was this little white rosary. And uh, I was really serious about serving God in the first grade, you know. And I remember we'd go in there and all the kids would be horsing around, snickering and crawling under the pews and throwing spit wads. And the nuns would be walking up and down the aisles slapping, you know. And, but you know what? They never had to slap me because I had my little white rosary and I was on my knees there and I was praying and I was, I was worshiping the Lord. I was worshiping the Lord. Now, eventually I lost that little white rosary and I got a black one. It didn't quite seem to do the same thing for me. But. And then I remember when I, when I, when I got saved at age uh, 22, 21 or 22, in the mountains of Santa Cruz and uh, really really met Jesus as my personal savior for the first time after four or five years of, of daily doing drugs and alcohol and you know doing the whole hippie thing in the 60s and God uh, God came to me in a miraculous way it was as powerful as I feel it, it must have been for Isaiah when he saw the Lord in the temple or as powerful as for Moses when he saw the burning bush you know, God, God called me and sent me aside. And, and it, was a, it was a powerful, wonderful thing. I remember that I went then to, uh, I really, there was the Holy Spirit that guided me, but I wandered into this place. You know, that was the time when Chuck Smith was down in Southern California and he was baptizing uh, hundreds of hippies in the Pacific Ocean. And uh, I was in Santa Cruz and, and the, the Jesus movement had started. There was a black preacher from Texas uh, that God had called out to Santa Cruz to start a place called the Drug Abuse Preventive Center, the DAPC. And I wandered in there one day and, and uh, really, and I heard them singing songs. And one of the songs they were singing was Shackled by a Heavy Burden, Neath a Load of Guilt and Shame. And then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I'm no longer the same. And I felt like somebody poured a bathtub of hot water over my head. And I worshiped God. I was learning to worship God. God was coming to me and introducing me to himself and to how to worship him. And I remember every day I'd go down by, there was a creek down by the DAPC there, and uh, there was a log beside the creek. And I'd, I'd kneel down by, beside that log and just worship the Lord, you know, just worship the Lord, you know. And I was learning to pray. I was learning. I remember how, how I thought how amazing it is that we can actually pray to God on a daily basis and we can, you know, he hears us and listens to us and speaks to us. And that was a revelation for me. And I was glad to be able to learn that. I remember going into a prayer meeting at the DAPC with some of the leaders. And, and I thought, man, they're letting me into the prayer meeting with the leaders, you know. 
and I, I just was overwhelmed. Uh, and I went in there, and they were praying, and I was kneeling down praying. And then I began to hear some of them speaking in these strange languages, you know. And that was my first introduction to speaking in tongues. And, and after that meeting, I approached one of them, and I said, you know what you guys were doing in there? I want to do that. And he said, no problem. And, I, and, and I, we prayed, and I started doing that, you know. And that was another step in worshiping God and going in and, and deeper with him and, and learning how to follow him. And then a number of years after that, after I'd gone to Bible school and I had gone um, into the ministry, I was at my first, I was the assistant pastor at a church in Salinas, First Assembly of God. And the pastor left. And so they, I, and I figured I was gone too, you know, because that's usually the way they did it. pastor was gone, the whole staff went. Uh, but the board approached me and asked me if I'd be the interim pastor. And so I, I went to that pastor, and I said, this is what they've asked me to do is, do I have your, your permission? And he said, yeah, by all means, you know, you need a job too. I'm out of a job, but you need a job, so go ahead and stay there. And I was the interim pastor there for only about three months until they got a new pastor. But I remember during that time, some of the little old pr uh, church ladies, you know, this was, this was a conservative Pentecostal church, you know, and these little old ladies had buns in their hair and Dr. Scholl's shoes and those nylons that you rolled up at the knee, you know. And, 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 and they were powerful ladies of God. And I remember I was sitting in the office one day wondering, how do you be a pastor, you know? I didn't have any idea. And, and these ladies came in kind of like a committee, you know. They had appointed themselves. And they said, God called us and told us to teach you how to pray and worship God, to teach you how to lead a church. And so they offered, they invited me to meet them every day in the basement of the church. They had their quilting bee, their ladies group, their prayer meeting. And they said, we'd like to, they actually didn't say, they sort of ordered me. You're going to, you come here every day and you pray with us and we'll teach you how to pray and we'll teach you how to worship God. And so I did and they did. I remember that, you know, we'd get started. Now, the one nice thing, they had lunch before we got started, so I always enjoyed that. They made pies and all kinds of good stuff. And that was the job of the pastor was to eat all their food, you know. <laughs> but then we'd get started praying, and, and they'd come up to me, and they'd say, okay, now what you need to do is you need to kneel down. Kneel down here. Kneel down here. Now put your arms up like this. Now pray in tongues. Pray hard. Pray loud. Pray louder. Then they'd say, now get up. Now run around. Run around the basement all the way around it. All the way around it. Now, 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 fall down on your face. Fall down flat on your face. And then, you know, and then I'll go get over here and do this and go over here and do that. And you know what? I did it, and it, it felt strange, and, and I knew I was being forced to do it. I had no choice, but it's funny how something began to happen. Something began to happen, and God began to move. And we got a new senior pastor, and he asked me to stay and be the youth pastor. And I was there for two and a half years. And that, in that two and a half years' time, God, God really did some miraculous things. That, that youth group went from about 30 kids to 300 kids. And it, it was an exciting time, and God used it. It was in the Salinas papers and everything. We were, had, we were hauling them in in buses. Uh, we had the, the, the lowriders in one bus and the cowboys in another bus. We couldn't put them in the same bus. And then every night, every night after youth group, I'd have to get into the cowboy bus with a garden hose and hose out all the tobacco juice. You know. 
But you know what? God was moving on those kids. And to this day, I mean, as much as that was uh, 30-some years ago. And I had one of those kids uh, contact me less than six months ago. You know, God touched their lives. God touched their lives because we worshiped God and, and we prayed. And then, then uh, after being there for about two and a half, three years, the senior pastor called me into his office and he said, Son, you've done, a, you've done a wonderful job. You know, the youth group's grown to 300. And uh, we're gonna, we're building, we've got these plans. We're going to build this gymnasium for the youth group. Uh, the only problem is we can't afford the building. Uh, and we can't afford to have the building and pay your salary too. So I think it's time for you to go on and find your own church. And that was like two weeks before Christmas. And I was shocked. But he did give me three months' pay. And I went home, and I told my wife and my kids, and uh, they all cried, and, you know, we didn't know where we were going to go. But I began to see God, and there was a book that I had come across written by a man named Dick Eastman, and it was called The Hour That Changed the World. And that's where this prayer circle that you have in front of you came from. And I began to pray that. I began, I took his challenge. You know, I took Jesus' challenge. What, could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray, Jesus said in Matthew 26, 40 and 41. And you know what? I took it seriously. I got down by the side of my bed. I got my stopwatch out because what he said was, if you will pray each of these 12, uh, you know, praise, waiting, confession, scripture praying, watching, intercession, petition, thanksgiving, singing, meditation, listening, and then praise again. And he had a chapter on each of them. And he said, if you'll pray each of those uh, steps for five minutes, at the end of the 12, you'll have prayed for an hour, 60 minutes. So I did that. I I had my stopwatch. I prayed five minutes of praise. I prayed five minutes of waiting. I prayed five minutes of confession. I prayed five minutes of watching. I prayed five minutes of intercession. I prayed all the way through that. I did that for two months. Waiting on the Lord and asking the Lord, Lord, where, where am I going to go? Where are you going to send me? Are you going to give me a church to pastor? And waiting on God and learning that, you know what, it wasn't so hard to pray for an hour. As a matter of fact, when you break it down like that, an hour goes by before you know it. And much of that time of intercession and prayer is, is just, just worship. You know, it's not so much only in petition and intercession uh, are you uh, really asking God for things? And then in confession and in, in uh, Scripture praying, you're, 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 conf- you're affirming that he's going to move in your life. But most of the time, praise, waiting, listening, meditation, singing, thanksgiving, and praising again is just strictly worship. You're just worshiping the Lord. And it's, I tell you, that is where the answer is. I'm not going to spend a lot of time tonight I don't know actually what time I started, um, but I'm not going to teach on each of these 12 segments at all. Uh, I'm just going to point out, as I already did, there are 12 of them, and you pray them maybe only for a minute each, and then you pray 12 minutes. You pray them, but if you pray them for five minutes each, you've prayed an hour, or maybe you only pull out certain ones and pray, praise and wait on the Lord and, and do a few of them at a time. But this really, uh, I highly recommend uh, Dick Beesman's book. I don't even know if it's still in print or not, uh, The Hour That Changed the World. And I highly recommend that you, uh, I'm, I'm not going to take the time, Psalm, I'm not going to take the time to each, read each of the scriptures, but you see that in the circle, 
with the arrow pointing to it for each of the sections on how to pray. Uh, there's a specific uh, scripture that goes into it in more detail. And, but the two that I want to just like to focus in on for a minute are the first and the last. Praising God. That's really, that's really the core of worship, is just praising the Lord. Psalm 63.3, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Because you came into my life, I'm just going to praise you for it. I'm just going to thank you for it. You know? And, and that's, that's the way you approach God. And then the way you end that at time of prayer is in praise again. Recognize God's nature, Psalm 52, 9. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it. I will wait upon thy name for it is good before thy saints to wait upon thy name. But the first part of that, I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it. You know, and what that what is thou hast done it? Thou hast done it as he saved you, he's delivered you from your sins, he's redeemed you, and he's done and he's on the process of doing whatever it is that You've been praying and asking him to do. And you've been, as you draw closer to him, worshiping him and praising him. So the last thing I wanted to touch on is uh, personal worship now. What, how do we do that? How do we get into that? How do we move forward in that? You know, I was a Pentecostal preacher for 20 years. Uh, and uh, they're, they're a special bunch. They're, they're different, you know. Uh, and, of course, they put a whole lot of emphasis on, on speaking in tongues and on the gifts of the Spirit. Um, and they put uh, kind of one thing they do definitely put a whole lot of emphasis on is worship. As a matter of fact, uh, usually the pastor has to struggle with the worship team over who's going to get the most time. And usually the worship team wins. They, they worship for, you know, 10 songs, 15 songs, 20 songs, 25 songs, 30 songs. You get up to preach. You look at the clock. It's five minutes to 12. You know, and that's okay because you go on till two in the afternoon. That's the way you do it in a Pentecostal church, you know. And but I tell you the thing that I love the most is is getting around the altar and people getting on their knees and people beginning to weep and pray and seek God and, and calling out on God. That's the way the whole Pentecostal movement started at Azusa Street, you know. People would just get on their knees and begin to seek God and, and, and beseech the, the Holy Spirit to fall upon them and to fall upon the church. And I believe that God wants to do that. I don't think he just wants to do it in Pentecostal churches. I think he wants to do it in all churches, and he certainly wants to do it and is doing it in this church. And I believe he's going to do it more. And I believe that this Wednesday night, Thrive, is, is about that, really. I believe that that's really what we're here to do. We're here to worship God and praise God, and seek God and call out on God and beseech God to move in our midst. And, and we'll start to feel him doing that more and more and more. And it's the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, he, then miracles start to happen, and God and people just come in. You can't, you, can't, you can't see them all. You can't fit them all. Because the Holy Spirit, the power of God, is there in your midst. And that's what people know that they really, really deep down want. And worshiping God, as far as you and I doing it individually and personally, and it, because I'm not really talking as much about corporate worship as I, as I am talking about individual personal worship. Worshiping God is like um, any other love relationship. It's like being married. 
you will get out of it as much as you put into it. And you will, as you draw closer to that one you love, they'll draw closer to you. And you'll experience the blessing and you'll experience the beauty and you'll experience the joy. But if you, if you hold out your hand and distance yourself and, and if you uh, refuse that relationship and if you aren't respectful and you don't treat one another with care and kindness and courtesy, the relationship becomes cold. The relationship is not fruitful. The relationship is more of a burden than it is a blessing. So if you want your relationship with God to be a blessing, that's the key to getting that is worshiping God, worshiping in that loving relationship. Because really, you can walk a Christian walk, and it can be more of a burden than a blessing because you're trying to walk the fence, and you're trying to, you know, walk in the world and walk with God too, and you're all the time in confusion and frustration because you haven't really entered in and embraced that love relationship. You know, instead you're, you're running from it and you're hiding from it. You know? You're married. You know that person. They know you. You're, you're saved, but you're not moving into the fullness of the relationship. And that's what God wants us to do, and that's what God responds to. He responds. And, you know, it's not really so much about knowing any secret steps or, or doing it a certain way. It's just really about getting down on your knees and crying out. You know, God, please come to me. God, please forgive me, help me, touch me by your Holy Spirit. You know, let me know again the freshness of your love. You know, and he will respond to that. He will always respond to that. So if you nurture it, it's beautiful and fulfilling. If you don't, it's not. And I think it's a personal thing, but I think also, you know, the Scripture says, where two or more are gathered, there am I in the midst of you. And if you are married, uh, the most important thing in the world you can do is, is have a devotional time together, pray together, worship the Lord together. I'm so thankful that I have my wife, Laura, in my life because we do that every morning, and we do it, not so, it's not so, usually it's not my idea. Usually it's her idea, you know. Uh, I come stumbling out of the bedroom. She's already up. You know, I want my cup of coffee, and I want some, some, something, some juice, and I want to sit down and start trying to wake up. And she wants to get the devotional books out. She's got a pile of them, you know. And, and, and I, I gladly do it because I know it's the best thing I can do, you know. I know it's good for me, you know. And, and, the, and the neat thing is, too, when we start reading and we start getting into it, we both start getting little revelations and we both start talking to each other about, you know, what the Lord is showing us, you know. And that's the kind of relationship you can have, not only if you're married, but you can have that by yourself because you start to talk to God that way, you know. And he starts to talk to you and you're talking to him. And that's how you find God's direction. For, for your life. That's how you find God's direction for the future, by spending time in his presence. I'm, in my own life, I'm facing a lot of decisions about the future. Uh, when to retire. I'm 65 years old. You know, when to quit working at the county. When to uh, maybe just do my private practice. Or would God have a, some kind of ministry for me again in my life before, you know, I shuffle on into the mortal coil. Uh, 
I don't really know what a mortal coil is. Do any of you? Yeah. But anyway, and I do know about shuffling, and I, I, I do that too much. Um, but I'm wanting to seek God more. I know I need to seek God more. I know that's where the answers are going to come from. Because, you know, I try to figure it out. Well, if I wait to retire two more years, I'm better off. No, if I do it now, I'm better off. But what, what am I going to die? So if I retire too late, I'll die too soon. Or, you know, what's going on? I can't figure any of that out. But you know what? God already knows all those answers. So all I got to do is get closer and closer to him, and I'll be closer and closer to the answers. And so will you. Amen. Thank you.